Bruchim Haboyim B'Shem Hashem Berach Bruchim Mevez Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shear Starting to get awkward now Calling it a Wednesday Shear instead of a Wednesday Night Shear Due to Baruch Hashem Simchas and Occasions and things that happen and go down Today is of course the first day of Hanukkah And um just makes it that more difficult with the Hanukkah lighting and the Hanukkah parties and the events going on, the Mitzayim it makes it that more difficult at night to be able to stop everything and to just give the shear. so we grab the uh, opportunity or the bull by the horns as we say and we're giving the shear at a different hour but Baruch Hashem is irrelevant for those that are going to listen to the shear Mitzah Hashem um this year will be broadcast, of course, on our iTunes, on iTunes and Sheer.us on the regular site. And for those that request it, can get an email of the video. Um, for some reason, it's not linking, it's not, not uploading on LinkedIn. Now, all of a sudden, it only gives me up to 10 minutes. If anybody has a solution to that, you can let me know. Um, I'd like to, of course, not of course, I'd like to get dedicate the shir to Rufur Shleimah for Aram Baruch Alevi Ben Chana Shabbat Rufur Shleimah Kreva Miraculous Rufur Shleimah of course to the soldier that was stabbed in Yisrael this week and we say Shachir to Yisrael this Shabbos is Shabbos Hanukkah and Pashmi Kates which are usually Pashmi Kates and Hanukkah coincide. Um, as we've said many times, we've told, spoke about it many times, the 2025 words of Pashmi Kates are the numerical value The 2025 is the numerical value of Ner, eight times, and the Chafhei, which is today, Chafhei Kisle, the first day. Pashmi Kates in itself is a wonderful, full, beautiful Pasha with many, many different life lessons to all of us. Um, most important of all life lessons is the value of family, which some of us tend to sometimes forget, overlook, um, underestimate. The value of family ties, the family relationships, family connections.
there are times when families, unfortunately, fall apart, disintegrate over small items, sometimes unfortunately big things. Um, Families are very, very important. Staple in a person's life. Shvakinim Bidakta was sitting actually this week and Um, actually, this week, yesterday, and we were talking, we were discussing about Hanukkah, we were discussing about family, and I remember exactly how it got to do something about someone having the child or the grandchild or somebody to go to, or to rely on after or Achimea Vesim, the Kaddish, etc. And um, there was a fellow by the table that was unfortunately I believe not married ever or maybe divorced I'm not sure but I don't believe he has any children and um, it hit very hard I mean he's middle aged in his 50s probably maybe 60s and he said yeah that will be me after 120 I have nobody to remember me I'll have nobody to think and talk about me um I didn't know how to hide myself, where to hide myself, or how to apologize to him for it. But the fact of the matter is that this is how people tend to see and to realize and to, be under, to come to understand the true value of family, brothers, sisters, siblings, parents, uncles, aunts, and those families that are able to extend to cousins is even nicer. Baruch Hashem, Hashem usually, excuse me, ominous wisdom supplies families with siblings and supplies children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews, and the generations continue and people continue to follow in their generations and see to it that the generations always have the true values of their lives. Then you have, of course, cases where a child feels they're not treated the way the rest of the children are treated or they feel that there's one other child that's treated better than they so sad so so sad and there are different reactions to it which we're going to discuss in Bishita. And it ultimately boils down to ways of Tata, that in Tata itself we see different reactions, actions and reactions to different things that people do and the way they do and the way they act and behave. This week's Parsha, we said that Parsha's Miketz. We said there are many references to Hanukkah in Parsha Miketz. And if you go through the archives of Parsha Miketz, I'm sure you will hear in 
notice the different art, different connections that we make reference to with Hanukkah and Pashmi Kates. <coughs> Pashmi Kates begins with the dreams of Pare. The rise, yep, the rising of Yosef Atzadik. How he rises to position, which is the ultimate result. Excuse me, of the sale of Yosef Atzadik, ultimate result of everything that went down, that went down before, that transpired between him and his brothers. The result of the father's love to Yosef, what he knew that Yosef, what he felt Yosef was capable of, and how Yosef ultimately rules in Mitzrayim, rules in Egypt, and brings down his family to Egypt because of it. And there, of course, begins the exile of Mitzrayim, which is all a preparation for Matan Teda, the receiving of the Teda in Sinai. Yaakov was concerned. Today's Chitas. Yaakov expresses concern to his children, saying that why should the neighbors um, think about us having our, what we need and not that they don't and that they have to lack and that we don't lack. So let us try to not poke their eyes out and like everybody else is doing, they're all going down to Egypt and trying to get the food. <coughs> you also go down. Needless to say, Baruch Hashem of the family, Kenayna Ara Yaakov's 12 sons, 11 at home, Yasef, of course, had been sold. To send one person to bring that amount of food would be a little bit impossible. Mm-hmm. So Yaakov sends all his sons. He tells all his sons, go down to Mitzrayim. He gives them a little bit of a hint, a little bit of an idea, an etzah. He says, don't everybody go in through the same gate. Don't go in together. Immediately, it threw up red flags. The national security picked up on this. this people coming in from different gates. It's all the same son of the, the sons of the same man. They're all Jews. Believe it or not, even that they, even in those times, they recognized that these people were Jewish. <coughs> Excuse me, and. Yosef, who of course put this up on the uh, security watch to make sure that he knew when they showed up, has them all come before him. And the Pasuk tells us about this wonderful new, the reuniting of the brothers. And the Pasik says a very anticlimactic situation here. Vayaka Yesef es Echov 
Vehem Lehi Kiruhu. This is chapter 42, verse 8, Perigmen Beis Pasiches. Yosef recognized the brothers as soon as they walked in. The Torah tells us not only did he recognize the brothers, that he, these were his brothers, he knew exactly who was who. And not only did he recognize and know who was who, for those of you who come from large families and don't necessarily always remember, he knew who was older than who. Bear in mind, there's been quite amount of years between the last time Yesus saw his brothers and now. And yet, he knew exactly the chronological order and he sat them down in that order. So, the Torah tells us two messages here. First, the Torah tells us, Vayakir Yosef es Echov. Yosef recognized his brothers. And then the Torah tells us, Vehem lehikiruhu. And they did not recognize him. Let us talk practically. The blood is thicker than water. This is your brother. How do you not recognize him? He had a brother from his mother, little Binyamin, who was still at home. Did Binyamin not look like Yosef? Did Yosef not have any features of his father? Did he not remember his mother so long because so she was gone for so long? How is it that Heim Lehi Kiruhu? And it wasn't as if they didn't, you know, sometimes a nation says, we don't recognize you as a nation. They don't want to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Also, same word, recognize. And if you're using it in Scrabble, it's the same thing. Same amount of letters, the same place, same spelling. To recognize. So it wasn't as if they didn't recognize him as a brother. They said, no, we don't accept you back in our brotherhood, and therefore we're not recognizing you as a brother. But literally, they did not recognize him. They did not know who he was. How does this transpire? Let us analyze what it takes to be a good person, a good Jew. A person needs to seek truth. But what does he have to actually seek in order to get close to God? Generally, the person sees the false news, the fake news, and truth to be told, usually the fake news is much more convincing than the real news. It's definitely much juicier, because you're making up fake news, you're making up or you're making it good. Obviously, if you want to sell it, you've got to have something to sell.
So the fake news item is very attracting to people. But eventually, and inevitably, people are deterred from attaching and connecting to falsehood. And they look for truth. And that true person, that's Teichai Kibari, that what's on his lung is on his tongue, and the way he acts is what he... The way he talks is how he acts and how he behaves. And he follows and lives up to his way of life. Because he lives a terror life and a way of mitzvahs. That person is palatable. That person is attractive to people. (coughs) That person, people flock to for their advice, for their opinion. So the best way to avoid controversy, to avoid falsehood, to avoid sticky situations, shall we say it, is run to a desert. Run to a forest out to a pasture, to a field, where it's you, nature, and God. Nothing else. Nobody else. There's no one to talk to. There's no one to listen to. There's no Wi-Fi, no internet. Nothing. Closed off you and yourself and your soul. And in Teres it's brought down that this was the reason that the Shifta Yudke, the children of Jacob, the children of Yaakov, Bnei Yaakov, the Shvatim, chose the occupation as shepherds and not any other business that would involve dealing with other people. They didn't want to have to deal with the falseness and the trivialities and the hatred. They couldn't deal with that. They wanted to be able to totally devote their time and efforts to God to study Torah and do mitzvahs. And the best job for that, that would allow them, would allot them the time and the luxury, was being a shepherd. And so, this group of boys were shepherd boys. And the ideal job for them was being out in the field where they can meditate, they can pray, and they can study. Pure spirituality and pure and holiness. Fast forward, and the shepherd boys are now sent on a mission. 
you're going to now have to hone your skills, your people skills. You're going to have to go down, not to go from Borough Park to Williamsburg, from Williamsburg to Flatbush, or from Seagate to the Five Towns. You're going from the Holy of Holy of Eretz Israel, the Holy Land, down to Ervas Oretz, the lowest of low to Egypt, to Mitzrayim. Don't just go there, take a whiff and come back. Go there and involve yourself with the people, with the merchants, with all the dealings that have to go on now to bring back food. Yasef anticipated this. One of Yosef's methods of control was he demanded of every Egyptian to have a bris milah. <coughs> and great commentaries on this that bring down what it was, what it was involved, why he had to have gemalit so that he should be able to feed them, should be able to support all the things that go on about this was Yosef. Also, Yosef had a method of taking the earth of which the wheat was grown in and storing it amongst the grains of wheat. And thereby preserving it properly. Many people knew that this was happening, that this was going to happen that the seven years of hunger were going to come about. And if for no other reason, because Yezir predicted first the seven years of great production and produce, and they saw how much more their fields were producing. So the people were storing in their own houses as well. They were storing their own bins. Unfortunately, they didn't have the knowledge, the know-how, or the blessing of Yezir. And therefore their food all got rotten. Since all their wheats and stalks and everything got rotten, they had to come on to Yasef. Now they were smarter than the average bear and they said, okay, we're not going to do it, we're not going to have to come on to Yasef, therefore we're not doing a brismila. Who is he to impose that upon us? And this week's, and today's chitas tells us they came to Parai and they said, we need food. Our food all got, all got rotten. And Paris says to them, Me? Yasef's in charge. But, 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 but the Bris Miller. Gotta do what you gotta do. This is what he wants, this is what he wants. He is in charge. So too, when the brothers had to come down here to negotiate, and they didn't want to negotiate only one portion a week, they wanted to negotiate a substantial amount. Sorry, they had to come before the ruler, for Yasef. So they're now coming out of their cocoon. They're coming out of their cocoon 
the whole hall. Coming out of the sheltered life of sitting in the fields and learning Teda and praying and communing with God and meditating and they have to go down into this Erva Saaretz to this land of Egypt. And they meet with the ruler. And the Torah, as we just said, describes this meeting, Vayaker Yesef, as Echovahim Lehikiruhu. He immediately recognized them, and they did not recognize him. <coughs> Let's go simply. How did, as we asked before, on a normal basis, how do you not recognize your brother? He's my brother from another mother. It has nothing to do. The father's characteristics had to come somewhere into play. And their brother Binyamin was still the brother of Yasef. So there had to be similarities. So first of all, the normal norm, without going anywhere deep, they told Yasef he was a little boy. He was 16, 17 years old. 17 years old. He hardly had a beard. He was a child. A frightened one at that. Now, he had a full beard. Very well groomed. He liked grooming his hair and his beard. So it says. In a royal uniform, he was dressed as royalty. Yeah. This is beyond recognition. This is not this is not a face that they were familiar with at all. The truth is the beard and the payas should have been a given, but uh, I guess he hid his payas under his yarmulke. He on a normal basis, therefore, they didn't recognize him. Fine. But obviously the Teda is Lashon Heira, is teaching, is not coming to tell us <coughs> this frivolous point that they came before him and he changed his lifestyle, he changed everything and therefore they didn't recognize him. This is not what Teda, this is not a message that Teda wants to impart upon us. as we said before, they did not recognize a person is capable of being in the mundane world, serving in the mundane world, enveloped on a daily basis with all the other things that went on in this decadent, horrific country in Erevas Aretz, should be able to exist, coexist, and yet look like Yosef HaTzadik looked. It's not possible. We know for ourselves that we look very much like him. We have that same shine. We have that same eminence. We have that same spiritual 
um, halo over our heads. But that's because we are totally given over to God. We sit and do nothing else but study Torah and do mitzvahs. We don't connect with the mundane. We're not exposed to the outside world. <coughs> so obviously, <coughs> it's not a problem for us to look like this. But Yosef, how? How is it possible for you to look like this? You are exposed to this world. This is what they could not recognize. And therefore, they were sure this had to be a Mitzri. It had to be an Egyptian. It couldn't be a Jew. But where is it coming from? Truth to be told, was Yosef's battle cry as he gets blessed by Yaakov. And it tells us how Yosef was a head and shoulders above his brothers, far superior to his brothers. Even as a ruler of Egypt, having this whole responsibility of being in charge of everything going on in Egypt with their food supply, etc., Yosef remained Yosef HaTzadik. A Jew connected to his creator. And my, ironically, none of the Shvatim ever referred to as HaTzadik, except for Yosef. Yosef referred to as Yosef HaTzadik, Yosef the Righteous One. Nobody else, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yudha, everybody's named by a name, but nobody ever gets that title as HaTzadik. He was able to connect himself to God not just by disconnecting from the world, not just by estranging the world to him, by limiting himself to the exposure of the world, but in the world, coexisting with everything that went on in the world, Yasef came out smelling like roses with shining stars. Wow! This they could not recognize. Because this, according to their calculation, was not possible. It was not doable. In order to stay holy, in order to stay pure, you needed to be totally detached from world. And by attaching yourself to world, and in being totally Engrossed in world, it's not possible to become what you are. And therefore we see that Yasef stood on this much, much higher level. Because this is ultimately the way, the reason the world was created. The Almighty created the world in order that a Jew should bring his light of holiness into the world. 
If a Jew is locked in, is closed in, is boxed into the Dalaramis, into his cave, although he himself comes up with all the nice conditions in order to serve God without any kind of connection, without any kind of disturbance, but the world is gaining nothing from this person. Opposite. He himself, with this such behavior, is making a an indent that HaKadosh Baruch and the world are two things hidden one from the other. Making Chas Vishalom to say that there's two separate entities. There's a world and there's God. And therefore, I can only deal with God. I can only be with God. And if I'm dealing with God, I can't deal with this world. On the flip side, a Jew that does live in the world, and although he's exposed to the world, although he's exposed to the elements, he lives a Jewish life, and doesn't compromise on what his Jewish life stands for, even to the little point of the Yud, to the minute, minutest detail, he does not compromise his Judaism. <coughs> this is a way to bring, to expose the light of God and the light of Terah into the world. This is the only way that it can be done. And this is the mission that God has put upon us. And therefore this person is showing that yes, I can live in the world. I can evolve myself. And I still keep Shabbos and Yom Tif. I have time set, a time set aside for study of Torah every day. And he therefore is able to impress upon his surroundings. And he can even be an Askan Siburi, as they call it, one that involves with communal affairs. course with clean hands like the tailor tells you to like the tailor dictates not taking anything that doesn't belong to you per se and this is each and everything each and every involvement in everything that person does when this Jew brings in the almighty into his life and then, of course, bringing it into the world of which he is living. This is what's called the Tachlis Ashlemus. This is the bottom line reason that we are here. It's not easy. But every Jew is called Neheg Katsein Yesef. As Dabra Melech mentions, 
in chapter 80, verse 2. Rei Yisrael Hazina Nea Katsen Yesef And therefore from Yosef we get these kachas, we get this strength, we get this life. Not to, in any which way, form or fashion, compromise. And we have to therefore lighten up the world. Rabbi say, we need to change gears not have some change attitudes change approach changing gears a little bit to this year we're going to go off a little bit of the subject of Miketz and we're going to move on a little bit to Hanukkah on Hanukkah The mitzvah of Hanukkah is light menorah, and we'll discuss other mitzvahs mm-hmm. of Hanukkah. I'd like to first start off with the lighting of the menorah. Rabbi, I'm holding my menorah in front of me, Rabbi. I have forty-four candles in this box. How does it work? Well, you did the first thing right, I told him. What's that? Did you call the rabbi? Good idea. I said, take the... He said, I got in this box, there's, looks like eight white tall candles. And the rest are colored candles. The colored candles on the windowsill. How do I work this? So you'll take a colored candle and you'll put it on the extreme right side of your menorah. You'll take one of the white candles, and you'll light that white candle, and you'll recite the three brachas. On the first night we say three brachas, and on the second and the rest of the nights we only say two. Shechiyonu is recited only on the first night. Take out, light your candle, your white one, hold it in your right hand if you're a righty, and make the bracha, the second bracha, and the third bracha, and light your candle. And mazel tov. <laughs> you did it. You did a Hanukkah. You could sing Mosur, you could sing Arenas Halal, you sing whatever you'd like, but the main thing is you lit your menorah. Unfortunately for me, Not everybody's out of, of that opinion. But although not everybody is of that opinion, I think everybody in today's day and age listens to what I just said. But let us look, if you keep your score at home, to the Gemara of the Sugi of called My Hanukkah, which is of course not in Mesechtas Hanukkah, because there is no Mesechtas Hanukkah. It's, if you keep your score at home, Mesechtas Shabbos, Chaf Aleph, Ahmed Beis. And the Gemara tells us there are two opinions of how to light the Menorah. There's the opinion of Beishamai 
and his contemporary Beis Hillel. Or Shammai and Hillel were the heads of the academies. Beis Shammai, Beis Hillel were the name of the academies. And we find this Machlikas in that very place. Beis Shammai, Yemen, Beis Shammai says, Yemrishin Madlik Shmeina, the first night we light eight, and every night we light one less. Second night seven, third night six, etc. Ubeis Hillel Imrim. Beis Hillel argues with Beis Shammai and says, Yem Rishim Adikachas, first night light one. And henceforth, light add each day one. The halacha kibes hillel, and the halacha is according to base hillel. And that's how we actually do it. That's how my instructions were right. Take the right candle the first night and light on the right one candle. So now the problem becomes on the fifth night. On the fifth night, where Beis Hillel says we have to add, we are lighting more than Beishamai said. Beishamai, on the first night is eight, second night seven, third night six, Fourth night five. The fifth night is only four. Beis Hillel says, Mesavah Hilach, first night one, second night two, third night three, fourth night four, and the fifth night is five. So it comes out that on the fifth night, Beis Hillel has more candles than according to Beis Shammai. And then onwards, it's going to happen the same way. Each night is going to become more and more, according to Beishil's opinion, and much less according to Beishamai's opinion, that ultimately on the last night there will be eight candles lit for Beishamai's side, Beishil's side, and one for Beishamai's. What is the lesson in our lives? The idea of Hanukkah candles is to enlighten the world should be illuminated from the lights of the Menera. Baruch Hashem merited to go around on Monday and distribute Meneras to several dozen people. And I was able to follow up with most of them last night, Baruch Hashem, by day via text, the wonderful world of text, and a good large percentage actually were ready to light already, and the rest of them I had to twist their arms. But Baruch Hashem, I believe pretty much everybody lit last night. And God should bless them with much light and happiness and joy for doing this mitzvah. <laughs> said to them, listen, it's easier than putting on tefillin. 
teaser than Shabbos candles. <laughs> In some of those cases, it's easier than Brismila. So they took advantage. If they can quiet the rabbi down, they get him off their case just by lighting a candle and making a bracha, three brachas, they're good with that. I even had one guy that asked me, please, Rabbi, I, I can't find the brochure you gave me, or maybe you didn't give it to me, or maybe it got stuck in your car. Whatever happened to it, I don't have it, I don't have the brachas, and I had to text him transliterated the brachas. And I did. Not a problem, Baruch Hashem. So, what does this mean to us, though? You're lighting the world up. Illuminating the world, every candle brings more light. A small amount of light pushes away so much darkness. And this is what we were talking about before. Behavioral... the ways of behavior of a person. There are two ways of approaching. There's a sur meirah and there is vasei toiv. Sur meirah is driving away the evil and vasei toiv is doing the good. Beishamai said we need to work on our sur meirah. We are in a dark place. Now the fact of the matter is that the mitzvahs of Hanukkah were instituted in a very dark time, a very dark era. Things were not good for the Jews. And therefore, Beishamai says, we need a lot of light to start this off, to jumpstart us. It's to push away the evil. And Beishamai says, no, we need to do the Let's start this little by little where we can build ourselves up. <coughs> there are ways that we attach ourselves to God, sometimes easier, sometimes not so easy. Each one of them, according to Beisil, according to Beishamai, each one attaches to the different types of mitzvahs, the different ways a person needs to involve themselves in the mitzvahs. And therefore we find Jews that way as well. We have Jews that work in a sur attitude. They fight the negative. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Jews that are in the Asay Taif camp. They look the good doers. And they're looking to do good. They're looking to help. They're looking to reach out. This fits also to their opinion of each day that subtract according to Bishamai and each day add according to Bishil. When when one's main service is the Surmira When one's main purpose is to go away, to drive away from the bad, according to the way Shammai says it, then the beginning of the Aveda 
Okay. Okay, nobody has to know her phone number. Anyway, the main service of Surmeda is going away from things that are not good. A person needs to strengthen themselves, needs to really buckle down, as we say, to be able to overcome what's already weakened. And therefore, Pachas Vahilach. And once you've injected yourself with a full strength, with a full body armor, you can now start taking off every day a little bit less. But when the main Avedas Asetayv is going out there to do good, like Vedasil says, positive thinking, positive reinforcement, every day we need to add. And every day we add more light, and every day we shine more light. And this is the beauty of the behavior tactics that Hanukkah teaches us. Mm-hmm. And as we started off this year today talking about behavior tactics between brothers, between siblings, in family. He's about to board a plane and he's calling me. But I have to finish cheer first. The Haida is Ulahalil. This is the theme of Hanukkah. The Haida is Ulahalil. So different than any other holiday, any other Yomtif, so different than Shabbos. Shabbos and Yom Tif. There's Suda Shabbos. Suda Yom Tif, Which are so relevant and so important. Not so on Hanukkah. We know established meals that need to happen. <laughs> Go tell that to your nutritionist who's telling you how did you possibly gain so much weight over Hanukkah? There's no meals that are supposed to be eaten here. What did you do? I was a little latke and donut. Not my fault. I couldn't resist it. Couldn't resist a latke, I understand. One latke, I understand. Mr. Nutritionist, doctor, whatever you are. Do you ever eat a latke in your life? A fresh fried latke you know what's so expensive about latkes I'll tell you if you're buying latkes why they're so expensive because the guy baking them can't stop eating them so he can never produce enough to sell it so it's supply and demand you stand there frying latkes on the first day first night of Hanukkah oh the aroma and the sizzling and you see it in front of you 
and that comes out into the strainer, and it's boiling hot. <sighs> Can't resist. You make your bracha, you eat your latke. And you have a few more still in the oil. What are their chances of surviving the latke holocaust? <laughs> Not very good. They come out into the pan, and then someone else walks in and says, okay, just have one latke. And there you are, 15 potatoes and I don't know how many eggs and onions down and nothing to show for it and we're going to sit down to dinner now we're going to have some latkes with our dinner and uh, oh there's no latkes no sorry but I only wanted to eat one and the same with donuts I only ate one jelly donut custard donut caramel donut ice cream donut uh, blueberry donut, uh, raspberry donut, strawberry donut. But I only ate one. I was very good. 22 pounds later. Anyway, there's no foods that we have to eat. We have to have the Hades of the Hallow. This is the idea of Hanukkah. As we learn again, we can reference once again, if you keep your score at home, to that same Gemara, Shabbos, Allah, Hamid Beis. That the idea is of Halal and Haidah. Lighting the Meneda, celebrating the Yom Tov of Hanukkah with oil. <coughs> what is the difference between Hanukkah and all the other Yom Tevim? All the other Yom Tevim, the holidays that we celebrate, <laughs> The expression is very, very commonplace. They try to kill us. We, we won. Let's eat. That's the holidays. They wanted to kill us in Egypt. We won. We left. Let's eat. Shuas, Matera. Let's eat. Whatever it is, we're eating. They wanted to destroy us physically. Purim, they wanted to destroy the Jews, they wanted to kill the Jews. Let's eat, festive meal of Purim. Hanukkah, they didn't care what the Jews' house looked like. They didn't care how the Jew dressed. They wanted the brain they wanted to destroy the Torah learning. They wanted to take away, destroy from us our essence, our reasoning. There's There's things that God has to do that we don't know the reason. We don't find the reason. Now those people today, unfortunately, that say, if I don't find it in a book, it doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. It's a mini Yisrael for generations, thousands of years. But I didn't find it written anywhere. I don't have to do it. This was their goal. To taint the mind of the Jew. To take those words of Teda to have a different meaning, connotation and feeling. And therefore, we celebrate Lahideh Slahazel and lighting a candle of oil.
light explaining the concept of Tera, the deeper studies of Tera, the more simple studies of Tera. A general meal, a staple of a meal, is bread and water, bread and wine. These three things, bread, water and wine, are staples. They give a person life, bread and water, reference to the part of Torah that we have everyday life. Torah is that we study every day. Doesn't necessarily give us guidance how we have to behave, but we know from here what we do. This teaches us our laws. Then you have the concept of yayin, of wine. You need to add in simcha, joy. And this hints a little bit to the secrets of Torah. And therefore the depth of serving God, how to serve God. But then we have the fourth concept. Bread, water, wine, then we have oil. Oil, you don't drink. You don't have to put a label on the bottle, don't drink oil. Oil, unlike water, unlike wine, unlike bread, you can't eat. You can use it as a dip. Sometimes people dip things into oil to eat it. You can cook with it. It's great. It enhances the taste of many, many things, according to most opinions. Now those opinions say, Ew, this is so oily. It has taste of oil. Look at it, it's dripping. I have one of my children that, when the luxion luxion is too oily, he takes a paper towel and blots it out. Shouldn't have too much oil. Besides, it makes pimples on the face. But it needs to be mixed. It needs to be used for cooking. And it makes a very good job. This way we see now the greatness of Hanukkah on all the other holidays. The bread, the wine, the water. All the holidays are tied up and all the tater that's revealed to us or the secrets of tater that's not revealed to us. Hanukkah is the oil which is the kachas of the secrets of tater. Rosin the rosin as it's referred to in the Zayah. Therefore the question comes up, the Hanukkah is something that the Chazal established. And it was done in a time where the Jews were in the lowest state of Tera. Why take the greatest level of Tera for it? But this is the way the Tera is revealed. The darker the time, the more the light needs to be applied. And this is also tied into Parshish Miketz. The Ketz Hayamim, Ketz meaning the end of the days. Tafka in the end of the, gener- of the exile, we will be married to the Razan the Razan to learn the deepest secrets of Teda and to taste it in the Geula Amitus Vashlema. And as we will come this Shabbos, will be in Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh, Shabbat Shalom to all.